Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. On June 12, 1993, a United States soldier goes AWOL and is never seen again. His erratic behavior before his disappearance creates one of the greatest mysteries in United States military history. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Justin Bergwinkle. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels <laughs> of Georgia. Good news on the uh, Patreon front. We have some new patrons. Nice. We have Miss Kaylee Rollins at the $10 beer fund tier. And Miss Leanne Ward at the $3 sticker tier. Well, hell yeah. Thank you, ladies. Spread the word. Spread the word. We're not going to talk about how that was one take on the intro. No, we're not. That was, you're going to screw it up. I guarantee. <laughs> I guarantee. That, they call me one take coach now because that was automatic. I didn't have to re-record it 900 times. Crazy, crazy. Got a couple of uh, new five star reviews. Do we really? I can't. No, this is from. No, nah, those are old. They are old, but we did. We didn't get a review. We did get a rating of one star. Someone gave us a one star, so it moved our rating from five out of five to four point eight. Guess they didn't like our witty banter, but that's mm, all right. Mm, 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 that's, mm. Okay. that's okay. That's okay, man. Mm, 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 what are we drinking tonight, there, Arlo? We are drinking the Twenty First Amendment Brewings Blah 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 IPA. It is the double IPA. Oh, we better be careful, dude. It's eight percent. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have one. <laughs> so good news on the. Uh, Review site. Um, my uh, Wi-Fi is just sitting here spinning now. So. Good lord! I know. Half-assing it, I guess. My Wi-Fi is down as well, so maybe, maybe <sighs> we're not uh, as technologically advanced as we think. So, Miss Leanne Ward sent us a nice email from Texas, and she says, "Howdy from number one fan from Texas. First of all, y'all are awesome." Never have been so spellbound and then laughed so hard in one episode after another. Not long ago, I just so happened to stumble across Mysterious Brews podcast, and now I'm completely hooked. I've been binge listening, just happened to find y'all by looking for more podcasts on the unsolved Texas Missy Beavers case. Oh, wow. Asking a kind suggestion for the Mysterious Brews Instagram page, would it be possible to label the number episode to the correlating pictures? That would be extra helpful for a quick and easy reference for each story. 
I love all the different subjects y'all cover, especially love the lighthearted chuckle mixed in while carefully not disrespecting the seriousness of info at hand. Have learned a lot from your podcast. One of the most interesting are the 411 cases. There are two very baffling cases in Texas that seem to fit that category. The first is Haley Gardner and her young daughter, Lindsay. And the other is Jason Laundrie that disappeared going home from college, from Texas State College in San Marcos, to his home near Houston. Keep up the great work. You both are so fun and awesome to listen to. Y'all talk my language and so refreshing to hear your accents. I can understand everything y'all say. Also, give a shout-out to Mini-Me. Really? I don't know. She must have been listening to some old episodes then. Oversight on my part, just wanted to say I noted the numbers on the Instagram pics. That is really helpful, and thank you. Have been listening to y'all on Spotify and looking at where and how to leave a five-star review. Also, where and how to donate to the Beer Fund. Keep up the great work. Well, the Beer Fund, we still got to get the website going up, but uh, the Beer Fund right now, if you go to groups on Facebook and type in Mysterious Brews, you can join the private group, and we got a post that's pinned that has the Beer Fund on there. Please donate as many millions of dollars as you need. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to everyone. Even thank you to the one-star review. If you just had the intestinal fortitude to tell us why, that would be great. You know, we take all constructive criticism, but since you just left a one-star, then uh, hopefully you are listening to this and you get back in touch with us. If you don't, then piss off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into the case. Man. All right, man, here we go. We are talking about this week, Mr. Justin Keith Bergwinkle. And of the cases we've covered, this is pretty freaking crazy. It is odd. So if you've been listening to our show, this this case is going to be right up there with like episode 64 when we talked about David Glenn Lewis when he disappeared from watching the Super Bowl. This guy's going to vanish without a trace. Yes, Mr. Bergwinkle was born in Clinton, Massachusetts on 5-14-1972. He was 5 foot 10 inches tall and weighed around 175 pounds. He has brown eyes and brown hair. He graduated from Clinton High School in 1990. He was a standout on the cross country and basketball teams. In the summer of 1990, he joined the U.S. Army, and he had aspirations of joining the Rangers. Justin began language training for entrance into the Rangers and attended the Presidio for a time, to learn Korean. According to a soldier that went through basic training with Justin, he was not training to be in the Rangers. He was training as a military intelligence linguist at the Presidio when he was kicked out of the program for stealing CDs from the Post Exchange. They stuck him on KP, or Kitchen Police slash Kitchen Patrol. That is where you work under the kitchen staff for a short time while he was waiting to get reclassified as a cook and then subsequently stationed at Fort Ord. Yeah, if you if if your goal is to be a ranger, getting on the kitchen staff is really far down the line of yes. what your goals were. That's he, pretty pretty bad. He then was transferred to Fort Lewis, Washington, during the base drawdown of Fort Ord before it was scheduled to be closed in 1994. He was sent to Fort Ord in Salinas, California, where he became a cook in the mess hall. And while he was at Fort Ord, he wound up meeting a young lady, Miss Yolanda Antunez, in August of 1992. 
Yolanda was a computer science student in Santa Clara University, and Justin would visit her when he had a weekend passed and travel the 85 miles from Fort Ord to her apartment just outside of Santa Clara, California. During one of the visits, Yolanda said that Justin began acting a little weird. She described his behavior to Unsolved Mysteries as, quote, all of a sudden he would just stop what he's doing with me in the afternoon and he would just say, I'm sorry, but I have to go to Monterey and see some people, but I'll be right back. I'll be just saying just like that, out of the blue. And then he started getting more vague. I can't tell you, it's, I really can't, can't discuss this with you right now. I'm doing something, you know, kind of secret, and I, I can't reveal it to you. When she pressed him for more information about why he had to leave abruptly, he would state, quote, it is better for you to not know what I'm involved in, end quote. Yeah, that's, that's pretty strange behavior. Just, just a little just odd. slightly odd. Slightly odd. <laughs> so in February of 1993, Justin was transferred to Fort Lewis in Washington State. It would take two weeks after the transfer for Justin to be able to get a weekend pass so that he could visit Yolanda again. Now Justin was 800 miles from Yolanda, and we're talking about a 12 to 13-hour drive. Yeah, that's pretty far. If he flew, the flight would have taken him two and a half hours. So he is way away from his girlfriend. Now, she was hoping that the transfer would put an end to his odd behavior, but that was not the case. If anything, his behavior became even odder. She states, quote, Justin always had a briefcase with him. He'd be very secretive about it. He would never open it in front of me. There was this one time I kind of angled myself just to turn and look over my shoulder to see what he was doing. All he's doing with the briefcase is taking pieces of paper in fact, taking pieces of paper out and shredding them with his bare hands, just tearing them into tiny little pieces. Like, not neat, not just, yeah, like she emphasizes that we're talking like less than an inch size pieces, like impossible to recreate, like reconstruct the, the like I say, you weren't a spy on him. And yeah. You, and you're going to put it all back put together. Put it all back together with some tape. He tears them into so small of pieces that that would render it impossible. Well, one thing that I have a problem with her stating that is if someone's tearing up paper, aren't you going to hear that? Don't you think? Well, I mean, I mean That's my own like I was like, why did you have to angle yourself if you if if he's tearing up paper? Unless there's like a lot of background noise, and then well, she was, I'll give her well, the benefit for the doubt. She was trying to see what it, what he was doing, not necessarily what she was hearing. Okay, I get. Okay, okay. I'm just saying. Okay, okay, okay. So one weekend, Yolanda received a phone call while Justin was out with his friends. She did not recognize the caller, but the stranger said to tell Justin, "quote The mission is off." End quote. When she asked what he meant. The caller just told her, just tell him the mission's off, and hung up the phone. After coming back to Yolanda, she said she told him that while he was out, he had a phone call, and all the guy would say was, the mission is off. Justin loses his proverbial shit <laughs> and begins pacing around and yelling, damn it, damn it. And it's at this point Yolanda gets concerned and asks him what he is involved with. He turned to her and said, Quote, you don't want to know, end quote. A few days after this odd phone call, Justin returned to Fort Lewis. 
Just a couple of days after being back at the base, Justin called his parents. Now, his parents would state that they did not notice anything unusual from the phone call, and he seemed to be in good spirits. That same day, Justin purchased two handguns and a large amount of ammunition. On June 4th of 1993, at approximately 4.30 a.m., Justin did not report to his kitchen duties, and three days later, he was officially reported as AWOL. And if you've grown up under a rock, that means absent without leave. Thank you for that clarification. (laughs) The odd thing is, he was not missing at all. He had gone to Yolanda's apartment on the night of June the 4th. He called his parents and told them that he was not AWOL and that he was, quote, working. Later that night, Justin called Fort Lewis and said that he had some things to take care of, but he would report back as soon as possible. He did not report back and instead stayed at Yolanda's for a few more days. He refused to explain almost anything about what was going on to Yolanda. She becomes extremely concerned and is getting angry that Justin will not talk to her. She asked him to come clean with her and just talk to her. Maybe she can help him. He refused to explain anything about what was going on except he told her to watch the movie White Sands and that everything would make sense after she did. Hmm. Now, White Sands is not your blockbuster movie. It is a lesser-known movie about arms smuggling, the FBI, and the CIA. And the synopsis is this sheriff in a small town finds this briefcase and assumes this spy's identity. That explains everything. Yeah. Case closed. (laughs) Tune in next week. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Now, Yolanda thought he might be working for the CIA, but again, he would not elaborate on anything. A few days later, Justin left Yolanda's apartment and has not been seen again. Three months would go by without a trace of Justin. That is until his car was found in the parking lot of an isolated beachfront motel near Fort Ord. Yeah, that's going to be three months after his disappearance. So there's no trace of him for three whole months, and then his car is found. Justin's name did not appear in the, ho- in the motel register. The handguns that he purchased were nowhere to be found, and surprisingly, his briefcase, which he always had with him, was found inside the trunk. Inside the briefcase was his wallet, his car keys, all of his credit cards, and his military ID. When the wallet was examined, his standard-issue military dog tags were found tucked inside. Yeah, he's going to explain to Yolanda at one point that if you ever find these lying around, that means I'm dead. Which is pretty weird. Yes. And she (laughs) says to, in the uh, episode of Unsolved Mysteries, she says, we were driving one time in our car and Justin had his dog tags and he said, do you know what they are? I kind of had an idea, but I just said, no, what are they for? And he says, well, when a soldier dies, they put them in his teeth so you can identify them. If you ever see these, you know Lying around, that means I'm dead. I did. Did I just say that? Oh wait, did we reverse roles? I, I thought I just said that. Maybe so. <laughs> now, was Justin a secret squirrel? No, no, he, he was wasn't. not a squirrel. He was not a secret squirrel. <laughs> what is known is that between 1992 and 1993, military weapons from Fort Ord and Fort Lewis were winding up in the hands of known gangbangers. An article that appeared in the Kitsap Sun newspaper in Bremerton, Washington, on November the 2nd, 1993, states, Guns, mines, and other deadly devices are turning up in the hands of civilians near military facilities. 
And then the AP out of Tacoma would state, military weapons are turning up in some surprising places. Now, this article is pretty short, so I'm going to read it for you. It says, in January of 1992, a mechanic at Puyo Pups, Modest Muffler, and Brake found two government-issue Claymore mines behind the driver's seat in a car brought in for servicing. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? Not one. What? But two Claymores. <laughs> If you if you're in possession of two claymores, how can you be that reckless with them? I don't know. How do you just like? Eh, I left them in the car. Yeah, I just left them in the car. They're not going to look. And, what the? F- that is insanity. Now, if you don't know what a claymore is, it is filled with explosives and metal balls. And these little metal balls, when the explosives go off, shoot out at an insane amount of speed, and they just obliterize everything within a football field. Well, Actually, I, half the size well, of the football I, What field. I love about Claymores is they're idiot-proof. Yeah, you just point them in the direction. It says, it point says towards enemy. Point towards <laughs> enemy, yes. That is amazing. Now, the uh, <laughs> SWAT team's leader, Mr. Rick Adamson, states in the article, if he had set them properly against a 12-man SWAT team, he would have killed us all. Body armor wouldn't have done us any good. Now, the man who had dropped off the car... Yeah, the thing about body armor and bulletproof vests, it's like, there's a lot of things that does not pr- that, that can penetrate those. There's... They're not... Uh, they're not... They don't make you invincible. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah. Now, the man who dropped the car off was Mr. Kevin E. Bradford. He was the target of a joint federal-state undercover narcotics probe and was wow. later sentenced really? to 18 years in prison. So you're already under investigation, and you got freaking claymores in your car, and you're stupid enough to just leave them there. I got to get my brakes done. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, he was not prosecuted for possession of the mines which he said he bought from a friend with ties to a motorcycle gang. An informer confirmed that, quote, friends in the military, end quote, helped Bradford get the mines. Grenades, mines, guns issued to members of the armed forces are turning up more and more in civilian criminal investigations, authority says. In my past 23 years with ATF, I have seen a significant amount of military devices in the area, said Norm W. Prins, supervisor of the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, Seattle office. He also noted that he is only aware of what they recover, not what's on the street. Quote, it's getting to be more frequent, said Pierce County Sheriff's Detective Dick Nabel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know why. But that, that, hey, that made me giggle. I'm sorry. When I wrote it, I was like, oh, insert laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> Police informants for years had warned that drug dealers and gang members were arming themselves with military gear. Quote, we just kind of brushed it off as bravado, Adamson said. But since June of 1988, Pierce County authorities have found military hardware on at least 32 occasions. There have been at least 27 theft investigations by officials of Fort Lewis and the Washington National Guard. McCord Air Force Base reported one theft, later proven unfounded, and Fairchild Air Force Base at Spokane reported one theft. Since the Claymores turned up at the muffler shop, authorities have found two additional Claymores during an unrelated arrest at Bonnie Lake and an M16 rifle during a narcotics raid at a Lakewood motel. Jesus. The Navy reported a case of 30 hand grenades stolen from a ship at Bremerton. 
A former National Guard member used a pipe bomb made with military explosives obtained through a contact somewhere in, a mili- in the military, a friend said, to take his estranged wife and their two-year-old daughter hostage. The Washington State Patrol recently arrested two young men near Olympia with a carload of hand grenades and some non-military weaponry. Tacoma area authorities suspect much of the military gear comes from Fort Lewis and nearby Camp Murray. Now, security had been tightened at Camp Murray since August, reported by the U.S. Army Audit Agency, said that 50,000 bullets, 116 machine guns, 58 rifles, and 150 right control gas grenades were recorded improperly or not recorded at all. Holy shit. Yeah. This goes back to uh, the nuclear stuff. Ah, we just lost 40 pounds of nuclear material. Good God, man. It's crazy. Now, security was tightened at the Army base after a 1990 theft of 240 pounds of plastic explosives were stolen. Supposedly, according to Captain Paul Hughes, quote, Fort Lewis takes every possible measure to prevent the loss or theft of ammunition or weapons. Even though he noted, even the best systems are sometimes circumvented. No, your system's not working if you can lose or have someone steal 240 pounds of plastic explosives. Now, several efforts to link the military weapons to the local base have been unsuccessful. The M16 taken during the drug raid, for example, was untraceable. Quote, the problem is there's no serial numbers on that weapon, said Prince, but he suspects it came from Fort Lewis. Quote, you let the evidence lead you to a conclusion and you use your own common sense. Efforts to trace the claymores found at Bonnie Lake also had a dead end. Records from Army Criminal Investigation Command show one of the mines had a serial number linking it to Fort Lewis, but base records showed that all mines with that number were destroyed, so Army investigators decided the mine couldn't have come from Fort Lewis after all. You mean they could have just said, oh no, it was destroyed, but you find one with a serial number in a car getting its brakes done at a muffler shop. But no, 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 it couldn't have come from Fort Lewis. Good old military intelligence. Now, another article appeared in the May 24th, 1992 edition of the Orlando Sentinel, and its headline read, Authorities seized a large cache of ammunition, hand grenades, and other explosives stolen from an army base and destined for two of the city's notorious street gangs, police said. Police arrested a security guard Friday at Fort Irwin, about 60 miles northeast of Los Angeles, and found his home packed with weapons taken from the base, said Detective Bob Smith of the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department. CBS News reported that Los Angeles gang investigators also had tracked a weapons for drugs deal to the Army base at Fort Ord near San Francisco. Members of the Crips and Bloods gang received surplus hand grenades and handheld rocket launchers in return the base personnel got drugs. I mean, drugs for rocket launchers, that's a... That's a hell of a turnaround. That's a that's an even deal. Yeah. I mean, get you a bag of Mexican Bam Bam, I'll give you a $3,000 <laughs> rocket launcher. <laughs> now, a, a soldier that was stationed at Fort Lewis spoke on anonymity, stating, quote, when I was stationed there, a couple different people were arrested trying to sell Nod's goggles at some bar. Those are night vision goggles. These idiots would steal steal 20,000 
night vision goggles, and sell them for an eight ball at Hooters. Jesus. It was no, crazy. At Hooters. That's what the guy said. At Hooters. That's what the guy said. It's in the paper. It has to be true. I mean, you I mean you gotta it's on the internet, so it's gotta be true. <laughs> now the reason that I kind <laughs> at Hooters. The reason I read all of that is to give you a little bit of a backstory about what was going on at Boat for Boat. The Swedish chef has left them. <laughs> the reason was to give you some background information on what was going on at both Fort Lewis and Fort Ord during the time that Mr. Bergwinkle was stationed there. We are not saying that he was involved in this, but... Let's just put it this way. That was not covered on... Uh, Unsolved, Unsolved Mysteries. No, it was, it was not. not. Basically... Before me reading the article, that's all we know about Mr. Bergwinkle's disappearance. There's not been any sign of him since they found his car. What we will get into is some things in the case and in the Unsolved Mysteries episode that make you go, hmm. Now, the first thing is his demotion. Now, this came from a retired military staff sergeant. And he states that in the Army, one doesn't demote to less than favorable positions as punishment, although enlisted soldiers can be officially, quote, busted down in rank. I can't remember if that's what was implied in the Unsolved Mysteries segment, but if it was, that is not correct. Your MOS, which is your designation, what you're going into the service for, is determined before you even start basic training. So if you go in knowing you're going to be an intelligence analyst or an infantryman, you come out as an intel analyst or an infantryman. And you stay that way unless you choose to switch specialties. And your petition to switch has to be approved and you must complete the proper education. You are never reduced to another specialty. So what they're saying is he wasn't busted from linguistic training to cook, he had to request being changed to cook. Really? Yes. Now, he could have had to pull kitchen duty as a part of his punishment, but he would have never been kicked out of the linguistics thing. He may have been busted down, but he would not have been kicked out and put into another career in the Army. Now, given that the Army was still doing the whole kitchen police thing in the 90s, However, government civilians handled 90% of food services in the garrisons now. Bergwinkle could have been in the kitchen because it was an assigned additional duty that everyone had to share in, or he had committed some minor offense that was the retribution his commanding officer decided was appropriate. Well, I mean, he did do the shoplifting, so, I mean... And that's what he's saying, which begs the interesting question, was Bergwinkle being punished for stealing the CDs? If so... Why make him permanent in the kitchen? Well, I mean, I, that's I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna say I don't know. Now, it, if, it doesn't seem like an assignment for somebody that's going to be involved in covert operations. Operations. Yeah, I agree. I'm with just you. saying. Now, according to this same uh, retired officer, if Bergwinkle was training to become an Army Ranger, he definitely would have had, would not have had any time nor opportunity to shoplift while in Ranger School, which is and was at the time that he was in the service 
only given at Fort Benning, Georgia, not Fort Ord. Hmm. Now, regarding the uh, Secret Squirrel Act with the briefcase, I found that, and this made sense, too, when I read it, and this was just something that this person hypothesized, and I kind of ran with it. So it reminds him and me, once I read it, of the movie True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where Bill Paxton's character conjures up all these stories of him being in the CIA to get women. And the guy says he wonders if maybe Justin and some of his buddies was doing that to pull some tail at the bars around the local base, and he kind of took it too far with Yolanda. Maybe. That's That's a good point. Or... Did he take it too far and the wrong person hear about it by mistake and think he was into some stuff and then he got taken? Now, according to the original investigator, and they withheld his name, I don't know why, because this case is, what, 30 years old? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yolanda was not very cooperative with investigators after Justin's car was discovered. She never offered any assistance, and Justin's mother never mentioned her to the MPs that were investigating Justin's AWOL. It was known that Justin thought she was in some danger with some questionable people. It was also believed he left to confront others and bring his girl back to Fort Lewis. His thoughts were that Justin went to, quote, rescue his girl from a bad situation where he knew that he was going to need the guns as protection. He then found himself in way too deep, and the, quote, girl he was supposedly going to see was in Seaside, California, which back then was not a great place to be, according to the investigator. This contradicts everything about what we know about Yolanda, and he hypothesized that maybe it was another girl or a friend's girlfriend. So now we get into the possible theories of why he disappeared or how he disappeared. And the first big one out there was suicide. And the one theory is that he committed suicide because he was disillusioned with his army life and felt undervalued as a cook. He concocted the fantasy of him being involved in secret missions to exhilarate himself and impress his girlfriend. She obviously believed it, which made his, quote, double life more thrilling. He wanted to have his girlfriend and family believe he lived a glorious, glamorous Hollywood movie-like style life instead of them being left in despair over a suicide. Justin told his girlfriend that finding his dog tags would indicate he is no longer alive. Who else would have made sure to leave his dog tags behind in his car? The problem with this theory is that there still hasn't been a body found. And you would assume that if he committed suicide, the body would have been found by now. Yeah, that whole dog tag thing could have been just a red herring, just to say, you know, if you find these, I'm dead. And he ran away, and he made sure to leave them behind because so she would think that he was dead. I mean, that's, that's a definite possibility. Yes. Another theory is that he was involved in drugs, um, and they're saying not, you know, Mexican cartel type, but some low-level drug dealing or trafficking. Said that um, he may have gotten in over his head, knew he couldn't come back out of fear, discipline from the military, or maybe he was simply ashamed of what he did. That would explain his girlfriend finding him bawling his eyes out in the middle of the night. But they go on to state that if he was in debt to drug dealers and the drug dealers killed him, 
They would not remove his wallet or his dog tags or dump his body in some remote place. They would make sure he was found so that they could use that to their advantage, which I have to agree. Yeah, I, I would say that's that's accurate because, like, if the whole go- if you owe money to someone, the whole goal for them is to get that money. If you murder them, you don't get that money. But you're if you do that, you're going to use it as a uh, a message to others. So you're going to want them to be found. This person that kind of come up with this drug thing says that he may have been involved in some low level stuff along with the AWOL may have pushed him over the edge and made him suicidal. But again, they go back to the suicide thing. If he did commit suicide, his body would have been found. Now, I did find in my internet travels a statement on the sitcom's online message board from Justin's brother, Casey. And I'm still blown away about sitcoms.com and how much information we can find there. There's 14 pages of shit on Justin there. 14 pages. Wow. And I read every damn one of them. <laughs> I didn't. So <laughs> go ahead. So Justin's brother, Casey, and this, I'm going to read it as I'm him so I don't have to keep saying quotes. So just know what's saying. It's not my opinion. This is his brother Casey's opinion, okay? You get me? You paying attention over? I am. Okay, good. Here we go. My intention is to clear up some questions you might have about the case. As a child, my memories of him are awesome. He was my big brother, and I really looked up to him. What stood out about him was that when someone is highly intelligent, they typically lack in other areas, such as socially, motor skills, interpersonal skills, etc. Justin was very smart and tough. He could have gone to any college he wanted, but was serious about the military, specifically the Rangers and Delta. I served in the Marine Corps Infantry Reconnaissance, so I understand the military and how it works. Justin, I believe, joined as an infantryman so he could try out for the Rangers and did successfully pass Ranger School and was going to a Ranger Battalion when he was selected to go to the Presidio to learn Korean. Please bear with me as I was a kid when he was doing this. However, what strikes me as odd is that they took him into the linguistic program as he only had a few years in. He used to write to my grandmother in fluent French as well, and she was so impressed. The whole shoplifting thing is very strange as he never stole anything ever growing up, and it was completely out of character for him. If that were legit, then why wouldn't they just put him in a straight-leg grunt unit and call it good? Kitchen duty? Question mark. What the fuck? And then transferring him to Washington State into another specific cook role that was not his. Another question. After they sent him to the Presidio to learn Korean, the whole thing just doesn't add up. I'm not trying to say he is the secret squirrel, but it doesn't make sense. I can't understand the pistol. Did he really say a secret mm-hmm. squirrel? Really? He used those verbiage? Yes. That's awesome. But it doesn't, doesn't make sense. I can't understand the pistol purchase other than he liked guns. We grew up shooting, and maybe he felt like he was getting into some serious shit. Mm, I don't know. That's... The timing of the purchase is suspicious. Yeah, it's suspicious. It's I agree. Not just, and not just one. Oh, he just likes guns. He bought two pistols. He bought two pistols with over 100 rounds of ammunition. That, in, to me, that indicates somebody that thought they might need it. Yes. Rather than, oh, I just want a gun. The biggest misconception is that he was mentally unstable. That couldn't be farther from the truth and is the reason this is so troubling to me so many years later. 
I am completely objected to this. The fucking police wouldn't even touch this. No missing persons report. The Army never declared him a deserter. No one would cooperate. Suicide is an easy answer, but I know it isn't true as I did know him. Plus, where's the body? His car sat at a motel for over a month, and his entire identity was left in it. Three months. Three months. Yeah. Well, this is what his brother said. I know, but I'm just saying. I'm, I'm clarifying the actual facts. I am 33 years old now, and I can't figure it out. I spoke to a man from my hometown about 10 years ago who was with Justin at Fort Ord, and he told me some things, but when we were supposed to meet up and talk further, he ended up dead. Really? Yeah. Once again, I don't know if that was a coincidence, a coincidence, but it is strange nevertheless. Drugs and gangs are also ridiculous as he couldn't have despised people like that more and never associated with any shitbags. <laughs> I used to think that he joined the French Foreign Legion, but he would have had to gotten himself to France to enlist and his wallet with ID were found in his car unless he had a duplicate license made or they took him straight from the U.S., and that theory is out. From what, and these are the initials of the man that wound up dead that he talked about that was stationed with Justin at Fort Ord, and he uses the initials S.A. From what S.A. told me and what the original investigator who posted on this thread said, he had something going on in Seaside, which was a shady place in the early 90s, possibly gun running or drugs or a second girlfriend. But I really have a tough time buying this having known him and being his brother. He still could have had the opportunity to continue his dream of a Ranger slash Delta career after his non-judicial punishment, seeing as he smoked the ASVAB and Ranger school. And they had him at Presidio in the foreign linguistics program. That's the weird part from the military side. No one would get their MOS changed from an elite unit to a cook for potentially stealing a Nintendo game. He would get his Article 15 and go to a regular infantry unit having screwed himself. On the phone one time with me, he was at the Presidio and was pumped that he, was, he had impressed some of the senior officers. That's all he said because I asked him why he was so upbeat. The Army would not tell our family anything at all and never declared him a deserter. That's weird. The local police didn't do a missing persons report either after being told he was missing. Someone did call the house after the original Unsolved Mysteries episode aired and said they were with him and he died in South America. What? Yeah. And he goes on to state that Yolanda was uncooperative as well from what he could recall and I just wish I knew, knew what happened so he could rest in peace and be properly buried. Now, we get into the Ranger thing because this is a hot topic that is highly debated on just about any message board. Reddit, uh, What's the other one? I don't know. Not sitcoms in mind. The uh, true crime one. Everybody gets on. You know what the hell I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. See, web sleuth. Yeah, web sleuth. Web sleuth. Now, the, this ranger thing. According to a retired military officer, the ranger situation is that, for the most part, junior enlisted soldiers do not attend the official ranger school at Fort Benning. Things may have changed, but it was that way in the early 90s. The course is a leadership one not designed for privates or specialists, a rank that is basically a senior private. For a newbie, therefore, the Ranger program would entail enlisting to be an infantry private in one of the Army's three Ranger battalions. One of these was and is at Fort Lewis, Washington. 
if the person stayed in the Rangers long enough and became a non-commissioned officer, i.e. a sergeant, then he'd probably go to the school. Special Forces, a.k.a. the Green Berets and the Delta Force, do most of their recruiting directly from the Rangers, although recently the Army has been recruiting program where people can enlist directly for Special Forces. However, it was not so in the early 90s, and the modern program has many washouts because it is hard for someone with no military experience. Most end up as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. Language training in Korean doesn't seem to mesh with any assignment as a ranger private at Fort Lewis. More likely, the trainee was in a linguist or interpreter position assigned to a unit supporting the 1st Special Forces Group, which was then stationed at Fort Lewis. This unit's general mission was and is the Far East. The Defense Language Institute at Monterey is a highly selective and intensive school. If a student there did not seem serious about the training, maybe by committing a crime off post, they would be kicked out. Since they now no longer would be able to be qualified for their specialty, but still had a military obligation, they would be reclassified in accordance with the needs of the service based on their qualifications from entrance aptitude tests. Everyone can qualify as an Army cook. During this same period, Fort Ork was scheduled to be closed and all of its troops were being repositioned to Fort Lewis. I think Bergwinkle probably was very dissatisfied to go from a linguist supporting the Green Berets to a cook who basically only boils water and stacks ration boxes in the field. Whatever happened next was the, next was the result of his dissatisfaction. We do not know enough to conject further, but a look at his personnel records would at least give his assignments, his specialties, and when he was administratively discharged for being AWOL. By the way, while AWOLs are not pursued, if he ever got caught for another crime, he'd have been, he would be eventually dragged back to the Army for punishment. So he probably has not been caught for any crimes. Reporting someone AWOL is pretty much the Army's version of filing a missing persons report. When this person was at Fort Benning years ago, the body of a murdered woman soldier was found in the woods part of the base. She had been reported AWOL a year earlier. The relatives were outraged and claimed they told them she wouldn't go AWOL. But enough do, and all the parents, except those hiding their child, say that, so it got short shaft. I think that case is still too unsolved. So that doesn't really clean up the Ranger thing, but it kind of puts it in more perspective. He could have been in a non-commissioned Ranger training program at Fort Lewis or Fort Ord. I mean, I don't buy that because he's a cook. Yeah, and it's not Steven Seagal. No, he's not under siege. No. He's he's a cook. And the thing that I have a problem with is, like that, the one retired officer said, you're not going to bust someone from infantrymen or linguistic school all the way to a cook. You don't reassign them positions. You bust them back down to rent or to buck private, whatever. That's the thing. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he was in... I think at the time that he went missing three or four years, and so he would have had enough time that he would have been an E4 or E5, and they could have busted him back down to entry level. I don't know. Now, there's two weird-ass things that I did discover. Okay. And then we'll get into our theories. Let's do it. The first one 
is there's a there was a website and I couldn't find it, but this is again off the sitcoms online message board, and there was a bunch of people that responded saying they saw it. The website was called Bergwinkle.com, and it was an online journal of a man named Joe Bergwinkle. And on the journal date of November 10th, 2003, the entry reads, Paranoia, Big Destroyer. <laughs> Why is the Department of Defense searching my site for the name Justin? Maybe they were looking for justice, but they just don't know how to spell it. That's some weird shit. Because that's 10 years after he disappeared. The second odd and crazy-ass thing is... Guess who else was stationed at Fort Ord and then Fort Lewis as the same time Mr. Bergwinkle was? That would be the uh, D.C. sniper, John Muhammad. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. And this person theorized that maybe the Department of Defense was looking at any correlation to maybe Muhammad killed Bergwinkle. Really? And they were doing this search as they began their preliminary trial research. That definitely seems very far-fetched. I agree, but it's still weird as shit that they it were is both yeah, at it, the it, same it two is, bases. I'm not, no, I agree with you, but that might just be... That, to me, seems just coincidental. True. I mean, there's 6,000 probably. Let's just say average 6,000 at each base. You're going you're gonna to be stationed at places with crazy people from time to time. <laughs> But anyway, so now we get into our theories. Shit. I know, you can just pick one, really. I like the combination of about two or three of them. I, I don't think that, I, I just don't think that this guy is going to be involved in covert ops. No, because you're not going to carry around a damn briefcase. Why, why, put, why put him in a cook position if he's important to, you know, if he's doing top secret missions and whatever why 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 is he a cook that to me what doesn't make sense yeah and the other thing i have is if you're into like classified secret shit going on you're not going to take those papers off the base there's no way they would let you take them off the base no. especially if you're a lowly ranger i I'm, he's not a ranger he's a cook sorry cook not if you're boiling water and yeah he's cooking he's, beans he's and cooking, grits yeah he's cooking uh, hamburgers for a thousand soldiers every day. Why would they even put him in that role? I don't know. So I don't buy that he was secret squirrel. Yeah, I don't buy that. I, I, I don't. Just, I just can't. I really like the the true lies angle. I think that he may have done it to impress Yolanda and kind of kept it up to keep her impressed. But maybe he did get disillusioned with his military career, even though, I mean, he was in three years. He doesn't have, if he signed up for six back then, he's got three left. If he signed up for four, he's less than a year from discharging. I don't know, man. I just, it's odd. And the suicide thing doesn't make sense. Like everybody states, if it was suicide, they would have found a body. It, I agree with that. I, I don't think it was suicide. I mean, it could be. I'm not going to rule it out, but. You know, the whole White Sands thing, like, they're going to trust this guy is going to be involved in arms dealing. International arms dealing. I, I, I don't I don't know, man. It's just, it's possible. But highly improbable. Yeah, but not likely that 
They're going to trust this guy to be. He could have wound up in a wet-ass marsh. <laughs> Maybe. And never got out. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just. I don't know. I'm with you, man. The suicide angle doesn't make sense. The only angle that kind of makes sense is that he crossed the wrong person or he pissed off the wrong person and they killed his ass and then disposed of his body. I don't like the drug aspect because if he owed money, like you said, you, A, you're not getting your money back, but B, that's going to be on public display as a warning to other dumbasses not to cross us. I do like the uh, gun running thing. There was a bunch of shit going on while he was there. Now, whether or not he was involved, he may have known people that were involved, and then it came out that he was doing this secret act, you know, ploy to impress girls, and they thought that he, if he got busted, he might squeal on them, and they offed him. That's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. Now, going to the phone call that she, re she received as uh, the mission's off, hell, he was out with friends. He could have paid some drunk at a bar to make that phone well, call. Yeah, and the whole the mission's off. Like I'm not I'm pretty sure that if the military has covert operations going on. In the nineties you had a beeper. Well, I just don't think they're gonna say the mission's off. There's, to gonna, especially be, there's gonna be code words. Yeah. Hey, tell him the cat flies without an umbrella. Something like Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> no, no, I mean really something like that. Like the mongoose is loose. Yeah, the and his name is Jeffrey. Yeah, the mongoose is uh coked up something there's gonna be more sophisticated than the missions off than just the missions off i agree with you i i, I don't that sounds to me like buffoons buffooning buffooning yeah that's I, a that's a good way to put it buffoons buffooning buffoons buffooning in a wet ass marsh yeah all right so there's really not a good like tie nice bow around this the reason we picked this or the reason i picked it is because it's freaking weird and there's no answer because it's kind of like some of our other cases once you pigeonhole your theory then you kind of step back and you're like well hell that doesn't make any sense well let's try this one well hell that doesn't make any sense none of it makes very, sense very very agreed i agree with that 100 if you mark it down in your calendars <laughs> if you try to make sense of it you you yourself can poke holes in any theory that you come up with agreed agreed it's it's frustrating. Yeah, it's very frustrating. Just like most of those unsolved mystery cases. But yeah, to think that this guy was involved in covert operations just really doesn't set well with me. I'm going to lean more towards dr the drugs, the drug aspect, because I think maybe that he was he got involved in dealing drugs or selling drugs or whatever. That's that's how I'm going to make sense of it, because the 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 level that he was at in the military just doesn't equate to CIA yeah, or deep cover. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just why bother making him a cook? Why not just make him an infantryman? That's take, my thing. Well, I mean, just take him to Quantico and just or assign him to. Uh, a foreign country or whatever. Why Why is he a cook? That's a, what I want to know. A cook. Kind of like that guy said, if you could do a Freedom of Information Act request on his military record, then you might be able to see if he was busted or if he put in 
that uh, operational change to be moved from linguistic to cook. And if he did it, then all of that stuff's out the window. Yeah. Then he just made all this shit up. Agreed. So it's we've cleared it up about as as best as muddy water as we can. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get into our recommendations. I'm going to recommend the podcast Unsolved Mysteries specific episode, Blood and Oil. It's going to be... Did you listen to that? Yes, I did. That is insane. Crazy. We could do like two parts on that thing. Yeah, if you want to see a miscarriage of justice... Twice. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be a few episodes back by the time you hear this, but it is insane. It's titled Blood and Oil. Yeah. The episode Blood and Oil. And if you don't... Listen to that podcast. If you listen to it and you're not pissed off by the end, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You're wrong. So <laughs> That's my recommendation. My recommendation is going to be that you visit the website gabrielbronze.com and search our latest previous episode, Freeway Phantom. And it's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-B-R-O-N-Z-E dot com. Search Freeway Phantom. And someone has taken the Zodiac Cipher and applied it to the note found in one of the victim's pockets. Really? Yes. And it is extremely weird. Sounds weird. And I would like to also give a shout out here at the end to our Australian Number one fan, Miss Cody Ryan, and she said that she really liked the uh, Freeway Phantom episode, and her theory was she was thinking that it was a black priest. Really? And she said that would give the girls the sense of trust, and it would also give that person access to the hospital, which checks off two boxes, along with he would know the community, and he would know most of the families. Wow, that, that's a good theory. It is a man, to great think theory. That, to think if that's true, a priest? Oh, Jesus. You're gonna think mur- about the you, Catholic Church. Yeah, you're going to murder someone and then go to church on Sunday? Well, they're diddling the altar boys and preaching on Sunday. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's a great point, but... I'm not saying that I, I like her theory. Though. No, I, I really do. do I really do like her theory. Don't get me wrong, but man. And we would love to hear what it, kind of person. A evil. The same kind of the evil bastard that did it. Oh, Jesus. But anyway, we love hearing from our fans, especially the theories. Uh, reach out to us, message us, direct message us, email us, whatever you need, and let us know. You got anything else over here, man? No, man. I'm, I'm good. I'm starving. So, uh, deuces.